Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. How are you? Good. So, uh, some things are happening, maybe you've uh, noticed, and uh, some more things are going to be happening. So, one of those, I'm sure you already heard, is you're not going to be here next week, but you are all coming to church. Right? Uh, Good. So, uh, this week they're coming in, and uh, they're going to do a lot of stuff in this uh, room. That'll work, right? Uh, Carpets are going in this week. Chandeliers are getting hung this week. I know you've come to love these, (laughs) but we just can't afford them. (laughs) So, uh, and in just a few minutes, we're going to give you a chance to walk through the facility. And uh, that's carefully worded. We're going to give you a chance to walk through the facility. Just walk through just walking, we're walking, thank you for walking through the facility. So uh, we want to give you a look at what's happening uh, in the facility and the possibilities. So thank you for being here for this celebration. I, I've been reflecting on the fact that a year ago at this time, uh, we, were, we were just kind of in that stage of how's this all going to come together? Still raising money, still hadn't launched our capital campaign we, we were uncertain as to how it was all going to fit together, and what a miracle to be where we are a year later. Uh, it's a genuine, genuine miracle. If you've never seen one, you're about to walk through one. And all I can say is that, you know, when God is in something, it works, and when He's not in something, it doesn't work, and this has just been a testimony to His faithfulness. And so uh, I hope as we kind of celebrate that today, you just reflect as you walk through and just say, man, this is just a, a God thing. So, awesome. There's a lot of people to thank, and uh, I would just kind of give a general thank you to so many folks that uh, have cleaned and processed so that you could walk through in relative safety and cleanliness, and especially to our contractor. I, was, I drove by early this morning, and our job supervisor was out here and uh, he was uh, cleaning and straightening and doing final things. And that's just not something that everybody would do on a Sunday morning. So, great contribution. I might need to switch this mic out. This is, uh, it's been doing this for a while. So, all right, let's uh, think together. How is your self-talk? What do you say to yourself? What ruminates in your brain? What runs around in there when you may and or may not be paying attention? Are you good to yourself? Are you kind? Are you good to God? Uh, do you feel grateful? Are you filled with Thanksgiving? Because Thanksgiving is not just a holiday. It turns out that Thanksgiving is supposed to be a frame of mind. It's supposed to be something that's going on in the depth of our being. That we're supposed to feel something. There's supposed to be gratitude. So we call this little series a greater gratitude. The idea is that you know gratitude is supposed to be to a higher power. It's supposed to be exponential. Because if you and I just dwell down in the everyday circumstances of life... Our hearts are not filled with gratitude. We're, we're filled with lots of other things, worry, stress. But God invites us to live in a greater gratitude, something that is exponentially bigger than just the circumstances, than just the things that are going on around us. 
He invites us to look at a bigger picture, to go deeper, to experience that we're okay even when we're not okay. Do you understand what I mean by that? Because we're not always going to be okay, but we can still be okay. You'll still be okay, yeah. So when you think about all of that and you think about what it looks like and what it means, we're going to see if we can change this mic so it doesn't pop and crackle the whole time. And here it is. Great. I'll just use this. Okay, so we're going to switch over. I'm shutting down here. Hello. So when you stop and you think about what it means to be a person of gratitude, I, I, I want to give you some food to chew on, something to think about, something to ruminate on, and it's from Revelation 21. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath. If you're online, find a quiet space and listen to these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life." I, I want you to hold that phrase in your hearts and minds. I, I want you to use it as a breath prayer. He is making all things new. We're celebrating that God is righteous, and maybe that phrase doesn't really thrill you or jazz you. It's not something you say to yourself, but I hope by the end of our time together this morning that it's a phrase you might think about when you're thinking about this greater gratitude. So for a moment to just say to yourself, he is making all things new. Whatever situation I'm in, whatever circumstance I'm in, whatever's happening to me, it doesn't matter if it's relationship-wise or health-wise or financially, whatever it might be, he is making all things new. And why is he making all things new? Because he's righteous. And that somehow connects. And it matters. And so as you stop and think about that, let's talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. You okay, everybody? I, uh, I always like, you know, if there's some energy. And so we're talking today about praising God. So loosen up a little bit. In 1537, King Henry VIII separated the Church of England from the Catholic Church. It was a trend. It started in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door. It, it, it's launched what we call the Protestant Reformation. And a lot of the, the heads of state in Europe were anxious to overthrow the power of the Pope. Until 1517, the Pope had been the most powerful political figure for many centuries. And so when this sort of took root in Germany with the Reformation, a lot of key leaders found reasons to separate. King Henry VIII found a reason because he desired a divorce, and the Pope wouldn't give him permission to divorce, and so he said, I'll just start my own church. And so in 1537, he took away 
the nation of England from uh, under Catholic rule, and he formed the Anglican Church. And a couple of things happened right away. There were two major groups of people who responded to this movement. The first group wanted to purify the new Church of England of everything Catholic. So their task and their mission was to remove from the Church of England anything that resembled the Catholic Church. They were called the Puritans. Puritans. The Puritans were not a puritanical group of people who had no fun and had no sense of humor. They were a group of people who desired to purify the Church of England from its Catholic roots. But a second group arose. And they arose because not only had the church separated from the Catholic Church, but now King Henry wanted everyone to be a part of the new church. He wanted everyone to sign up. And so he was encouraging, forcing, making rules that encouraged people to be a part of the Church of England. Eventually, King James would pass a law, and you had to be a part of the Church of England. And so another group formed. And they wanted to worship on their own. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to worship God as they understood, and they were called the separatists. They separated themselves from the church, both the Anglican and the Catholic church, to do their own thing. Because of the rising pressure under Henry VIII, many of them left the country. One particular group settled in Holland. They're known as the Leiden separatists. And after a couple of decades in uh, Holland, they decided that they could worship as they wanted, but their children were beginning to pick up on customs that were local, and they weren't sticking with the customs with which they had been raised. And so they thought, we're not separate enough. We need to find another way to separate. So they applied to the English crown for permission to settle in the New World, in North America. They were granted a charter to settle, and in 1620, the spring of 1620, they purchased a ship called the Spreewell, and they made plans to make their way to their new chartered colony in North America. They arrived in Southampton, England in the summer of 1620 and purchased a second ship, and that ship was called the, the Mayflower. August 15th, 1620, they set sail for America in two ships, the Spreewell and the Mayflower. And just a couple of days into the journey, the Spreewell leaked so profusely that they turned back and finally in the coming weeks decided the Spreewell couldn't make the trip. So in September, on September 16, 1620, the Mayflower loaded with the Leiden separatists left Southampton 66 days later. You hear that? How long does it take a ship to get across the Atlantic today? Yeah, but not long. 66 days they floated across the Atlantic to arrive now in mid-November 1620. Winter had already set in, only to find that they were off course. And they had landed at Cape Cod instead of in their designated space. And they began to search for a place to, to set up their colony. They couldn't find a suitable place. It wasn't until December 21st that they finally decided they would land at Plymouth Rock because the captain of the ship had seen a port there that he thought would work for them. Everybody with me? December 21st, they finally came ashore. The first winter was brutal. They were unprepared. There were 102 separatists on the ship. Now we call them pilgrims. 53 of those died in the first year, the first winter. 
In April of 1621, the Native Americans made contact with the separatists for the first time. They began to teach them about what would grow and how to grow it and how things could fit together. And, and, and they began to build appropriate shelters. And, and, and by the fall of 1621, things were looking much, much better for the pilgrims. And so they gathered together to have a celebration. They invited their Native American friends. And they threw a feast of Thanksgiving only once and only in the fall of 1621. Now, i got to ask you this question. I don't know how much of a party it could have been. I don't know that I would have been really in the mood. I don't think I would have been feeling thankful. With more than half of their party, every person there had family members that had passed in the previous year. They were all bankrupt. What had started out as a desire for a financial investment that was supposed to be a good return for these families, they were destitute and broken. They were facing an oncoming winter in a strange place, far from home. But something inside of them felt thankful. That's convicting to me. I, I don't know about you, but, but I don't seem to be able to, to feel thankful over the smallest of things. It doesn't take very much to upset my equilibrium. Is anybody else like that? Like, like if you were to just define crises in your life, when I write them down or think about them, it's kind of it's embarrassing. I had a crisis the other day. I was taking a shower, and my wife started the washing machine. Amen? And in my depth of character, I was like, stupid house. Can't even run a washing machine and shower at the same time? This is silly. I can't imagine. Man. Am I the only one like that? I mean, if I write down what I'm in crisis about, it's kind of embarrassing. Because it's usually a first world problem, you know? And yet here these folks are that, that are living out these incredible circumstances and saying, you know what we need to do? We need to sit down and thank God for what he's doing in our journey and in our lives. I think the psalmist is really good about this. I think the psalmist is really good about talking to us about the reality of life and how it works and the pain that's involved in it. And in the Psalms, then very honestly assessing and talking about stuff, but finding his way to thankfulness. He doesn't stay stuck in that space. He doesn't stay stuck in that way. He, he, he works his way. He's honest. He's not, he's not full of, you know, platitudes well, it'll be okay. He, he embraces the weight, but he finds his way through that into a place of thanksgiving. One of the places where that's uh, so apparent is the 111th Psalm. The 111th Psalm and the 112th Psalms are acrostics, just so you know. The author has decided to use the Hebrew uh, alphabet as the context of this, and so uh, there are 22 phrases in the 111th and 112th Psalms, each of them beginning with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. When I read it in English, you will not see any of it, but just so you know, it is there. Listen to what is written in the 111th 
praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He who follows his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So in this, we, we, we just have some ideas that he says, here's some keys to to understanding some things that matter in life, and there are six of them. Number one, praise the Lord. It is therapeutic and good for you and I to praise the Lord, to actually praise the Lord. Why is it so? Well, I don't know about you, but I can easily get into a mindset where I start to believe that the system is dependent on me, and if I don't do what I have to do, and if I don't figure it out, then things are not going to go well. Anybody else have that complex going on? Yeah, yeah. The world really will not be okay without me. And that means that everything that happens, I need to figure out. So some of you don't think that the system will be, you know, necessarily need you, but how many of you do think that you got to figure it out? Some of you are not being honest. (laughs) How many of you are sitting beside someone who's always trying to figure it out? That's a lot more hands. That is a lot more hands right there. (laughs) Because I start to think I'm it. Praising God says I am not the top of the food chain. There is someone above me. I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to understand everything. I don't have to solve all the problems. The politics of the world are probably going to go in a direction whether I voice my opinion or not. Can I get an amen? And I should maybe at some point praise more and talk less. I hope you weren't directing that at me personally. (laughs) It's one of the stronger amens I've ever heard in this room. I am invited to dance childlike before God, praise, celebrate, to act like I'm not in charge and I'm not responsible for every single thing and I don't have to figure it out. I'm invited to praise God so that I can take the weight off of my shoulders. There's this beautiful story in the Old Testament of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Anybody remember that story? And David is dancing in a loincloth, not something I necessarily recommend, but he's dancing in a loincloth before the Ark of the Covenant. And he's just dancing like a child. He's just joyful, and he's leaping and spinning and dancing, and we're told that his wife is sitting in the palace looking out of one of the upper story windows, and she despises him. 
And in her mind, all she can see is something childish. And when David comes home, he catches it. She says to him, I hope you are proud of yourself. You have made a fool of yourself before all of the eyes of Israel. You acted foolishly. And David says, oh no, I did not. What I did was I acted in a childlike way as I danced before God, giving him praise and honor. That's what I did. I acted like not a king, but a child. A child of God. Because even if you're king, you have to be a child. Anybody know how the passage concludes? And Michael was barren all of her days. Because that's what happens. When we confuse childishness with childlikeness, when we fail to praise, when we fail to lift the burden off our shoulders, and we actually are invited to participate, to, to, to say it out, to really get together. That leads him to his next statement. We're not only to praise the Lord, we're to praise with the upright. We're to praise with people who are honest, who are seeking who are not arrogant, who don't think they know it all, who haven't solved all the problems. You want to you kill a buzz of praising God, get a few critics in the system. We're to praise with the upright. We're to get together with folks who are seeking after God. We're, we're to look at one another and say, we share this in common. We don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. We don't need to be talking all the time. We, it is okay for us to humble ourselves and, and, and to set aside all of the turmoil and rage and anger that's going on in our culture, in our world, and, and to recognize that we honor God above ourselves. And we trust Him. We trust Him. We absolutely trust Him. We're instructed in Scripture that we're to test the Spirit, and we're to reject those that are not good, and we're to cling to those that are. And I think we know the difference instinctively. Sometimes we get around people, and it doesn't take long before we are debilitated by the conversation. God forbid that that would be us, that it is our conversation that is debilitating. We, who are among the upright... We are to speak words of grace, and edification, and righteousness because we trust. We praise God, and we praise God with the upright. And then he says, we praise God in the assembly. We get together and praise together. Why is that important? Because at any given time, your story or my story isn't going well. We're to mourn with those who mourn. And rejoice with those who rejoice. And when we assemble together, it is a testimony that some people in the room right now are in the winter of their story. And it's bleak and cold and frozen and lifeless and dark. Some people in the room right now are in the spring of their story. And some things have broken through and the sun came out and things are blooming and growing and they're excited and they feel fulfilled. And some people are entering into fall and things are looking dark and gloomy and the days are getting shorter and they're feeling the weight of that because that's the nature of human beings, amen? 
So we mourn with those who mourn, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And when we stand in the assembly, we know this. God is working in all of the stories. And just because somebody else is in the spring and I'm in the winter, that gives me hope. I'm not jealous. I'm thankful. Because if you had winter and now it's spring, then my winter is going to give way to spring. Because that is the inevitable truth of the way God works. Amen? And when we praise in the assembly, we get our eyes off of the micro and onto the macro, and we praise in the assembly. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that uh, praise and celebration in the assembly has gotten quieter over the years, and in some cultures. Because, you know, I will tell you, when you go to Africa and you praise in the assembly, you may not know what you're singing, but you know it's loud. <laughs> and you know everybody's in it. And at any given moment, there may be a dance. You just don't know. Hopefully it's not on your row, because then it's weird. Because <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but when you're there, this stands out a little. <laughs> and then when they start moving, this stands out a lot. <laughs> but they're in it. And I wonder sometimes if we don't... I mean, I know we come to learn and we open the Word and we, we do this part, but there is power in praising in the assembly, of letting ourselves be caught up, of lifting our voices. Aren't we fixated on getting... Is there anything more terrifying than singing? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I can run this mic down if you want to try it. We become preoccupied with perfection, especially when it comes to singing. You know, if you grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you, you know that there were a lot of people that were stars that had no business singing. <laughs> Amen? Why were they stars? They were cool. It wasn't because they were perfect. Bob Dylan would not have... I mean, let's be fair. There's a lot going on there. It ain't singing. But why did the culture have room for that? Because he had something to say. And now, even if you can't sing, we'll fix you in post. Because we don't want anything imperfect getting out there. And I think when we stand in the assembly, sometimes we think, if, if I'm not good enough, I don't want to sing out. Maybe somebody will hear me. Maybe I'll be off key. Chances are you will. Given some point, you will sing anyway. Be childlike anyway. Lift up your voice anyway. Make a joyful noise. Yeah. Praise in the assembly, he says. And then he says, I want you to praise the works of God. Praise the works of God. Specifically, the Hebrew here is talking about creation. I want you to go and observe creation, and I want you to think about the God of creation. There is something therapeutic about you and I slowing down and noticing the beauty and power of creation. Amen? If you didn't know, we live among the foothills. There are mountains all around us. How many knew? How many noticed this morning? Yeah, less. But we ought to notice. 
The mountains around us are testimony to the creative genius of God. Go to the ocean. I, 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 it's always a phenomenon to me. You go down there and you drive along the beach and there are all kinds of people staring out at the water. I mean, do you ever just want to walk down the beach and go, what are you looking at? I'll tell you what they're looking at. Wherever they come from, whatever their faith, whatever they believe in, they're watching the power of the ocean and feeling the significance of what is happening around them, and it is therapeutic for the soul. And when you and I do it as an act of worship, it is healing to us. And we ought to do more of it. You ought to go look over the edge of the Grand Canyon. You ought to go down to the beach. You ought to go up to the mountains. You ought to, in a childlike way, experience the beauty and the wonder. I don't know if you know this. We live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And what do you notice when you drive through it? Traffic. Yeah, yeah. We ought to praise the works of God. We've got to let it get inside of us. If you can't do anything else, go out in your yard tonight and lay down and look at the stars. Your backyard, because you do have neighbors. And look at what God has created. And that he said, not only do I want you to pay attention and praise the works of God, I want you to praise the deeds of God. And that's a different Hebrew word. What that word means is the God who is the author and the artist of all of the works of God is the God who sees you and does work in your journey and in your life. You don't just praise the God of the universe and the God of creation. You you know the artist, and that artist personally is working on your issues and your stuff. Do you believe that? I am making all things new. I am making all things new. We ought to breathe that prayer over a bunch of stuff in our life. We may need to breathe it over our bills. We may need to breathe it over our doctor's appointment. We may need to breathe it over our relationship stuff. We may need to breathe it over our children. We may need to breathe it over our children. We may need to breathe it over our grandchildren. But we need to breathe it. I'm making all things new. I'm on it. I don't just do the works. I do the deeds. I'm not just in it for the big stuff. I'm in it for your stuff too. And then he wraps it up. Really, all of that is in the first three verses, and now he wraps it up with this statement, and God is righteous. And now he's going to expound on what that looks like, that God is righteous. And here's what it means, that God is righteous. I am working on everything all the time. I am, I am building in the world rightness. I'm going to make it right. That ultimately, Revelation 20, the end of the entire narrative of the Bible, write this down. This is reliable and true. I'll take away every tear. I'll take away every sorrow. I am making all things new. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I don't know about you, but I'm not smart enough to figure out how God should make all things new, even though I talk like I am. Am I the only one? 
if you hear me talk, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you what they ought to do up there in Washington, D.C. <laughs> do I know? No. No, I got some strong opinions. I've, I've thought about this. Either you're an activist or a servant, but it is hard to be both. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm just saying when we are the created and we worship the creator, sometimes we have to go, if I thought it, God's on it. Well, I'll tell you, I want justice. Yeah, he invented that. Well, I, I'll tell you what they ought to do. Yeah, he, he gave you some sense of ability to think about that or you wouldn't be thinking about it. And by the way, he's on it and he's going to fix it. He is in the process of making all things new, and he is righteous. He's getting it right. He's getting it right. He's getting it right. Every time we glimpse into heaven, every prophetic moment in the Scripture in which we look into heaven, what do we see? What are they doing? Sitting around the throne praising God. What does that mean? Ultimately, all we're going to do is sit around and go, hey, you got it right. Hey, way to go. You got it right. I had no idea. I'm sure part of it was my contribution, but hey, way to go. Amen? That he is in every layer, in the complexity of this world. I've been fascinated over these last few weeks as we as a culture and a world has struggled with what's happening in Israel. And the number of opinions about what is and what isn't, the amount of analysis... Listen, is it fair to say that that is a multi-layered, deeply complex, long-term political set of issues? The humanitarian pain of it all is overwhelming. I, I want to stop and just say, God, I need your righteousness. Because I don't even know how to layer it all out. I got my opinions. But I need your right, and I need this confidence. I know that you're working all the time for what is best in this world. Not for just one person or one group of people, but for every person on this planet. And I can rest in that. I can rest in it. I can pray the righteousness of God over my home, over my family, uh, over my own life, over my health, over my finances, over my relationships, uh, over my extended family, because He is making all things new. And if I'm going to experience the truth and the power of thanksgiving... I'm going to have to find that greater gratitude that rests in a God who is absolutely righteous. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks. As we respond to your word and we prepare to really celebrate together, we want to give you thanks. We are witnessing a miracle of God, faithfulness of people who have responded to your call, Folks who have stood by, made good choices for so many decades and years, and we just want to say thank you. And so in a moment, we're going to sing and celebrate and respond to your word, and then we're going to make our way, and we're just going to celebrate. We're going to be childlike. Some people may dance a little. We won't laugh. We just ask you to lead us and guide us. We are truly grateful. We are truly thankful.
So we ask that you would just allow this time to not be a, an end to our service, but just an extension of the celebration. We ask it all in your name. Amen. Now, in a moment, we're going to sing together, and then we're going to ask you to kind of in an orderly way make your way out the side. There's going to be folks standing along the way. We have a little path for you to follow so you won't get in any trouble or step in any holes. And we just want you to kind of poke your head in all the rooms. There'll be folks on the parking lot, so if you have questions, think about them. Keep moving. And when you get out to the parking lot, you can ask those questions, and we'll do our very best to answer all of those. We want you to be up close and personal, and I... I see a face out there that I want to recognize. Uh, Gary Hopkins, would you just wave at us back there? There he is. <laughs> Gary, Gary is the Hopkins of George Hopkins Construction, and uh, he's gone above and beyond on this project. Uh, I know he'll be happy when it's done because he's tired. <laughs> but if you get close to him, say thank you. So let's praise. Will you stand with me? Let's respond to the word. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.